The Sports Career Podcast, episode 242, How to Improve Equality in Sports Coaching. Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for listening to this week's podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in teaching or sports coaching. I hope today's episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Julia Hayes. Julia has over 20 years of experience in teaching, in physical education, sports coaching, but currently she's doing a PhD in equality in coaching. Also, she's the co-founder of the Women Coaching Association, which is all about providing a support system for women who want to pursue a career in coaching in all levels of sport so they have the right guidance around them. For that reason, it's brilliant to have Julie as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Julie will share her sports career journey and share why it's so important to have equality in coaching on and off the sports field. Jules, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please, you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Yeah, sure. So I guess, um, first of all, I'd like to say thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to, uh, I had a privilege to get interviewed and to be able to share uh, my story. So really appreciate that. Um, I think for me, I was always pretty passionate about sport. Uh, my mum always jokes and says, you were the kid in the street that used to round all the kids up and uh, and get a any type of sport game going. Actually, I probably knew from the time of about seven years old that I knew I wanted to be a sports teacher. I just had a great, you know, passion to be outdoors over here in Australia. And I grew up in Perth, which, you know, on average has 300 sunny days a year. So lots of outside sport going on over there. Through my teenage years, I decided I didn't want to get a job in a shop like most teenagers um, and that I wanted to perhaps pursue a job in sport from very early on. So from about 14, I was umpiring and getting paid to do that in basketball. And then that went on to coaching sport quite young as well. So I think I was 14 when I started coaching, you know, like an under eight or under 10s team. Mum would drop me off down at the stadium and I'd coach my little team and, you know, I'd really enjoy it. And, and I knew from that age still I wanted to be a teacher. After that, I, through my university years and studying human movement, so I didn't study education, unlike um, which they've changed the pathway over here in Australia now. So I decided to study human movement because I wasn't sure which area of sport I wanted to work in by the time I hit my university year. Um, and I did some more swimming teaching jobs in the, in the sort of the casual work in the sports industry through those years. Decided that, yeah, I thought phys ed teaching was for me. When I'd finished uni, I jumped on an aeroplane. I knew one person here in Melbourne, which is about three and a half thousand kilometres away. Um, and I decided to come and pursue a career in sport over in Melbourne, which is our home of sport in Australia. Um, and I thought if I can go there and make it, then wouldn't that be amazing? There's so many great sporting teams and opportunities over in Melbourne. So I first started teaching phys ed here and I did that for a couple of years in a special needs school, uh, which gave me a really good grounding to you know, inclusive education and holistic teaching. 
probably like most Aussies, I moved over to London uh, with having my dad being English and having the passport. So I spent six years teaching in the UK um, and doing all the traveling, um, which was amazing. And I was really lucky that I got to do quite a few tours, international tours of sport during that time. And I got to do things like netball tours to Wales, ski trips to um, Austria. I even remember just doing like a year seven um, orientation camp to France and running some sport activities during that. So it's a really um, a fantastic opportunity to explore the world and, and teach sport uh, and get involved with sport. I played sport also too over in the UK. I played in a social netball competition over there. Took six months off and travelled across train all the way from London to Hong Kong. So got to see a pretty decent amount of the world during that time and see how some other countries did sport. I was really interested in going through China and seeing how organised, you know, phys ed was in their schools as we sort of went past on trains and things like that. It's it quite an interesting uh, thing to have a look at. And then um, I returned to Australia and by then I'd um, had my first son, uh, first child. I've got two kids, a son and a daughter. And um, I thought, what am I going to do? So I sort of fell across then over into sport development and did some teaching in that and thought, wow, this is really great. And started reliving my unis with the sports psychology stuff and nutrition. And um, I really enjoyed that because I got to work with young adults in that space. And I think I found a passion for, for that space and, and, and being able to really, for me, to help young adults on, on the, in the beginning of their sporting career in sport um, and to talk to them about all the experiences that I'd had in sport and working in, in the sports industry. And then um, from there, I really went on and because I loved working with that age group of the young adults, I um, transferred over to the university teaching and um, have been really fortunate to be able to do some lecturing at university in sport and phys ed teaching. And now I find myself, I guess, because I grew, was in that environment studying uh, a PhD full time. So I've given up my uh, job for the time being and I'm looking at women in sport and the whole gender equality piece. So. Yeah, I've done, I've done a lot in sport and education across my 20 years of being in the workforce. Wow, that's all I was going to say. I've got to go back in time, <laughs> Jules, because there's just some bits I want to nitpick at. One is, that comes to mind, how is teaching like a role where you can transfer it to different countries, different environments? Because that's the one thing I've had in the past with other PE teachers. People think, I'm going to be a PE teacher, and they assume that you're in the same school for like 10 years, 15 years, but that's not true. You, you're proven product that you can use your teaching as a skill in different countries and different cultures may you just reflecting on that point just for listeners who'd like to get into teaching how you can apply it to you know around the world yeah well I think um you know we sort of break apart when we work with the pre-service teachers here in Australia that the practice of teaching and um and you know like I would say to my students really once you know and you've had a bit of practice teaching the art of teaching which is very similar to the art of coaching sport that really, you know, the content is the thing you're always refreshing on. So with regards to having taught here for two years and then moving to the UK, you know, the art of teaching was pretty similar and the relationships, obviously, teaching is all about communication, building rapport, being able to convey information from me to the students and then to be able to, you know, give that back and feedback going on. So a lot of communication skills. And I think you can take those with you wherever you go in the world, you know, and then you learn the content. So I always used to have a joke in my students and say, you're always, you know, if you're teaching an unfamiliar subject, which sometimes happens in teaching where you get thrown into a unit that you're not so familiar with, I always joke and say, as long as you're one week ahead of the students, then, you know, that's, that's okay. Because, and admit when you don't know, if you don't know the answer, then you can say, look, I don't know, how about we look together or 
um, I'll go find that out and get back to you in the next session. The teaching, the, the relationship element, because I would say the same for coaching sport. Um, and, you know, it's just if you can build relationships with people, you're able to do that professionally, commun communicate clearly and establish trust with students, then that's the art of teaching and that can be done anywhere. Many, and even in online at the moment, you know, we've had to adapt this last year and, and change the way we teach and deliver and engage with people. And, and part of that too is that real trying to connect with people online. And now that opens the world up to be able to, do, to communicate and connect with people anywhere in the world. Another point I want to bring up is when you started coaching at the age of 14, may I ask from those early experiences, what do you learn the most which have supported you now? out of interest yeah what did I learn the most I think I think I probably learned pretty pretty early on that I enjoyed being the leader like and I I got a lot of satisfaction out of helping people so being able to coach as a 14 year old and say I did a lot of basketball and netball coaching when I was young to be able to show those players how to demonstrate the skill and then to see them succeeding the skill you know was really rewarding for me and I think that's what I the biggest thing I took from that coaching so young and being privileged to be in a leadership position so young was the pure enjoyment out of it. And, you know, and, this, and the satisfaction personally when the team succeeds or when the athletes succeed. So, you know, just winning a game, you know, or something you'd been working on in training and then they executed it in the game. And they, you know, the little kids run up, give you big hugs. And to see that joy, you know, was that to me was the hook into teaching of, no amount of money you ever pay me or privileges or opportunities you give me can replace that that satisfaction of seeing something that you've worked so hard with an athlete you know to coach them through and then they succeed that's just so rewarding i think intrinsically um, and that's probably what i know we're going to talk later perhaps about some advice but you know the one thing about that's really great about the sports industry is we're really lucky because we get to do that like a lot of other industries you're sitting behind a computer you may not be engaging or connecting with people uh, and in sport we get this physical outcome and this instant you know wow i did it that's really cool whereas other professions may have to wait a long time to see that success and uh you know you can teach someone something and then within the next movement they accomplish that and that satisfaction is pretty uh, amazing I, I guess as a as a coach and as a teacher just from a teach perspective like already you've, you've sort of uh, shared the different ages of pupils right out of interest like the students who are listening in who want to be teachers like how important is it to find that age group that you feel comfortable teaching yeah that makes sense because I know some friends they're great at that low level but then actually some prefer the academic age group i'm just intrigued because you know um i think if you find that niche the better you're going to be I, I could be wrong i'm just intrigued on that point yeah i think um look i think it changes over time i speak to a lot of our students at the university and a lot you know they come into these the degree the teaching degree and they have an idea and it's sometimes they don't know so we have degrees here in australia that they qualify for both a primary school teacher and a secondary school but quite often they have to decide early on whether they're going to do primary or secondary and i think that was for me, um, I did I did actually secondary school training and predominantly I've worked in primary schools. It's less about the age, it's more about the setting and the people, you know, like my, the first school I worked in was a really challenging school to work in, but the people that I worked there with, like some of them are still my best friends, that was incredible. And I feel like that was one of the hardest teaching jobs I had. Um, it was low socioeconomic, there was a lot of challenges with the kids, the behaviour was quite 
challenging to manage. Um, it was stressful. I remember my first year of teaching, I cried a lot when I went home, you know, and if it hadn't been for those people around me, then um, I don't think I would have lasted that long in the job, but the, the people were just amazing. And then I've had other schools I've worked at where um, the school itself is pretty good and the kids are pretty well behaved, but the culture within the staff hasn't been that supportive. And so I haven't lasted that long. I've decided, you know what, I'm the type of person, um, I tend to do the stuff I love. And if I'm not really enjoying it or loving it, then I'll go and find something else to, I, I guess I live off that, the adrenaline of the intrinsic reward that I get out of loving the job that I do. Could, could we tap into that? Because um, I think intrinsic motivation is so under talked about. We all talk about, oh, we need to be motivated, but how important is intrinsic motivation and from a career standpoint, reflecting from your career decisions out of interest? Yeah, look, I think it, I think for me personally, I, I was really, really lucky that when I grew up um, that my parents said to me, um, both of them were university educated, which was unusual. I'm 40 years old, so it's unusual to have parents from my generation that both had university degrees. Both of them said to me, you need to find a job that you love doing. They were really had this ethos and ethic, you know, from a very young age, I remember them saying to me, do what you love, don't go after a job just for the money. So to go back to your question about how important is intrinsic motivation, I mean, I rate it as pretty high up there. Like it, you know, what's the point in getting out of bed every day and doing a job that you don't love when there are jobs out there that you can do that you love and you can, I think the biggest thing for me, people ask me, why did you want to be a teacher? To make a difference, 100%. I mean, I know it's pretty cliche to say that, but like I said, making a difference is, you can make a difference instantly with some of these kids and then you have the medium or the short and the medium term making a difference and then you have the long term make a difference. I've met kids who who then are adults and say I remember you I remember you being my PE teacher you really inspired me to keep you know doing sport and I hated sport I've had kids say I hated sport until I had you and then I really liked sport and that like I phys ed teacher I love the kids who hate sport they're my favorite to work with because I love you know inspiring them to change their attitude uh, to be able to move competently and confidently and to enjoy moving and uh, what a great life skill to take with them past their time with me really really up there for me that intrinsic motivation and I just think if you want to live a happy life and like this year COVID you know like who would have thought and I'm really that's the thing I, I fall back on I do what I love so being locked up at home whilst it's hard I'm really lucky that I'm still passionate about the work I do uh, and I've, I've really still been able to enjoy you know contributing to that workspace. I hope the audience the listeners are enjoying this now I want to sort of go nitty-gritty of the, these skill sets like you said you can always like be a step of the head or a chapter ahead when actually teaching the knowledge but from a skill set so you talked about communication what skills have you developed with regards to building your own sort of coaching slash teaching philosophy I know one of the, the biggest skills I've had to develop is more diplomacy <laughs> and the people who know me will laugh a lot at that because I guess I've always felt like I would call stuff out if it wasn't right I'd be one of the girls that would say hey boys that's not right you know you can't you've got to have girls involved with that and I think um you know over time I probably learned that that there was a you know a better way to achieve more to bring people on the journey rather than so you can still call it out but perhaps in a little bit more of a diplomatic and professional way so that's that's probably a big steep learning curve for me especially since my profile has become more public recently I've had to really manage that and uh and you know remember the professionalism aspect 
Um, I think too that it's the other really key skill is to keep learning. You know, even though I'm a teacher and I've got 20 years experience and I've coached for 26 years, I don't ever feel like I know everything. I always have this thirst to learn more, to speak to people. Um, I love learning new things. So um, that's why I'm really enjoying the study at the moment because I feel like every day I'm learning new things again. So keep, you know, keep moving forward with the momentum moving and by learning new things and being open. And that probably leads me to the next skill that I would say it's really important to have an open mindset. Um, you know, again, I go back to COVID, you know, they said that the, the businesses that would do well during COVID would be the businesses that would be able to pivot. Uh, and it's much like us as people, you know, if we get so bogged down in the fact that we're locked up in our houses, we can't continue to do. I, my, uh, my calendar prior to lockdown was, I was getting really excited. I had a lot of really exciting events and some public speaking things and coming up. Uh, and of course, COVID happened and we went into a really strict lockdown here in Melbourne and everything just disappeared. And so I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do? Like, I want to keep this momentum going of, you know, I'm just building a public profile and I'm trying really hard to influence the space I'm in with regards to gender equality. Uh, and so we, I say we, my business partner and I, H. Ravi, we decided to start a business. And I guess that was our moment of pivoting. Uh, and, and some really great things have come of that because we've been forced into learning how to do a Zoom, which admittedly I did not know at the start of lockdown. Uh, and we are now speaking to people all over the world, like you, and like, that's a pivot, you know, that's a pivot moment. So being able to, when life throws you lemons, being able to pivot and to go, that's really crap, you know, e.g. COVID, but how can I use what I've got to keep the momentum going in my life and keep using the opportunities and how can I seek new opportunities? Uh, and the one thing I've really noticed during lockdown uh, from all over the world is people are really engaging with each other and supporting each other. And, like you and I at the start of this, before we started recording, we were talking about some of those things, you know. So I think it's a, it's a connection to the world that we're all going through this tough time and uh, we're all having to pivot together to, to get through it. Absolutely. And it's all about just controlling the controllables and smiling a lot. Uh, that's what yeah. I've been trying to apply uh, to my daily habit. But really quickly, I want to now talk about your PhD. Before we talk about um, your coaching and your, your, the business side, um, what inspired you to do a PhD? And I say this because sometimes, uh, even I did at university, people think you've got to do your degree, then do the master's, then do your PhD. You're doing your PhD a few years on. So, yeah, quite a few years. Yeah, I won't mention <laughs> how many years. <laughs> so, I went through about 20 years and then I went back to study, which was very different to when, when I first started studying. We had, we had actual journals, we had to go find the articles, and now everything's online. <laughs> But I'm just in, I want you just to share your why doing a PhD yeah. now. And, and there's no right or wrong for, for students making that decision if they want to later on in their career. So um, it sort of goes back to when I, the night I graduated, my graduation ceremony at university, where you sit in the big crowd with this, you know, thousand other people. And I saw all the academics up on stage in their gowns. And I, and I definitely thought at, on that night, you know, one day I would love to be up there helping other people, um, you know, t I guess teaching other people. Um, and so I, I had that seed planted pretty early on that I, you know, one day that was hopefully going to be me. And then I went through this journey in my life, you know, educate or human movement and then into education, phys ed, teaching, having children. I always thought if I was going to go back and do more study would be in the education space. And funnily enough, what really changed or made me pivot into community sports space was coaching my son's under eight 
team, um, football team. And over here, Aussie rules football is pretty male dominated. It's only recently that we've had women start playing the game in the last three or four years. And I realised that there weren't many women coaching. So I was like, why is this? Coming from phys ed teaching background, there'd been, you know, roughly 50-50 to men and women in the teaching space. Um, and I thought, this is different. And so I really got interested in the sociology behind that and what were some of the barriers and challenges? Why weren't women, women putting up their hand to coach in community sport? Um, and then that led me to write a thesis last year and to look at that problem in more depth because I sort of did that as a bit of a taster to see, I'm not sure if I really want to go back to uni. So and I'm not sure if I really, the research thing, I'm not sure. Uh, but basically I loved it. And the thing I loved most about it was that I got to create new knowledge. And I thought, how cool is this as a teacher? Because I've been teaching everybody else's knowledge for the last like 20 years. And now I can create new knowledge and then I can teach it. And I thought, that's awesome. So off the back of that, I, um, I got a scholarship, which was really exciting too. And I had to make a big choice whether to take the scholarship because you could only do it full time and leave my job or to, uh, you know, perhaps pursue a part-time model and keep working. And I guess I took a leap of faith and here I am studying full-time uh, gender equality in sport and looking at how, um, you know, how to level the playing field for women athletes and coaches in regards to the opportunities and pay um, and what we can do to shape that culture in our sporting clubs to be more inclusive for women and girls. I find this really interesting, but most of all, very important. Like, I, I don't know if you saw online, I was involved in the Athens Women's Football Summit, which is all about really raising awareness of inequality in the women's game. Uh, and one of the points which you mentioned is coaching is so low. This is from a football coaching perspective. So um, really quickly, out of interest, would you mind sharing some like knowledge you've already discovered or are you literally just started out? Because I'm, I'm really intrigued on this from an educational standpoint. Yeah, so it's fascinating because like, I feel like for me, and I was just joking with my mum today because I got so excited when I read this and then was able to, it's funny, like I feel like a bit of a translator sometimes, reading the theory and then relating it to the practicality of sport. And I feel like I'm unpacking so many scenarios that I've seen in sport across my last like 30 years or 40 years of being involved in sport. But essentially, you know, we sport is uh, stereotypically a masculine domain. Um, so we look in the gender studies, you know, we look at the masculine traits and the feminine traits. And I think that we've realised, you know, that we needed to develop women and that they lack self-confidence. And, um, you know, we know that in the workforce too, that if there's a a job, you know, and the man meets two out of the 10 criteria, he'll go, oh, yeah, I'm fine for that, I'll apply. Whereas if the woman meets eight out of the 10, she'll go, no, I'm not qualified enough, I won't apply for that. So I think that was already quite well researched. We knew women lacked that confidence sometimes, especially in a male-dominated sport to step up and coach. Um, and, you know, that imposter syndrome. But I think for me, and this is a really exciting area of research, is moving on to now look at the space, and there's been some recent research come out about this too, from our university, the space itself, how is the space set up to cater for men and for women? And how do the men and women interact in that space? Uh, and, you know, the, we talk about these things of masculinities, which, you know, what is that? Well, it's how the men behave and how they're encouraged to behave in those spaces. And for me, that's become like a bit of a light bulb moment. And I was speaking to an academic the other day and he said, we were debating, you know, because um, there's been a lot of money pumped over here into developing the women, but still we have this glass ceiling where the women are now developed and they're not getting the, the jobs as head coaches. So that's what now I'm looking at is, well, how do we get those women who are developed through? And really it was saying that 
the, the, the gatekeepers essentially of gender equality in sport is our men. And I thought, well, let's get the men on board here. Let's go in and look at a strengths-based approach, which means we go and look at who in our sporting culture is doing this well. Where are clubs encouraging women to come in, treating women and girls, you know, with a similar, you know, equitable arrangements to the boys and the men. That's the thing. We've let women in to the space of sport, but unfortunately in a lot of the sports clubs over here, the culture hasn't changed. So the women are still on the furthest field, the darkest lit, you know, with the potholes, the men take the premium field. In the clubhouse, there's more photos of the men up and their flags and their pennants, not many of the women. You know, so still, that's for me has become a really interesting um, piece that I go, wow, these clubs really are like heavily masculine still. And that's why a lot of women don't feel comfortable going into the clubs. And really importantly, the other thing here that I, I you know, I love to speak about is that a lot of men don't feel comfortable with that either. So gender equality and, and balancing our clubs and making them more, you know, inclusive is actually really great for men and for women. And we know over here in Australia, having more women involved in the club from a financial aspect, a lot of these clubs now over here are being held up by the women's programs, but yet they're not getting the same, you know, equitable opportunities in the club. It's an amazing problem to unpack with so many layers and, you know, you're throwing all the intersectionalities as well, like race, socioeconomic background and, uh, it's it's a huge piece of work there's, and there's so many wonderful people working around it but uh, yeah I, look I could talk all day about that and take up your whole podcast on that. <laughs> I find this interesting but most of all important um, I wanted the listeners including myself have a snapshot of what you're doing and hopefully in the future there'll be another podcast and, and you, you, we can hopefully do a compare comparison um, and I think that's yeah. what's important looking forward now what inspired you then to do your coaching association like what inspired you to set that up yeah so um just going back to that story I was mentioning before about how I was coaching my son's team um and a lot of there was a lot of stuff that went on that year that I was like really like it's 2020 why is this still happening so things like we wear big coaching bibs that clearly identify you as the head coach and I didn't see one other woman coaching in that league that I coached in with my son's team. And at the end of the game, the men or the male coach of the other team would go straight to my assistant coach, who was one of the dads, and shake his hand, but wouldn't come to me. And I'd be like, it's pretty obvious I'm the coach because I've got the bib on. So that was odd to me. Like, again, coming from an education background that's so super professional, and I'd never felt any of that. And just often I would turn up to the game, you know, I'd be early because I'd be the coach, and they'd be like, oh, are you the team manager? And I'd be like, no, I'm the coach. And then it would get awkward and then we wouldn't quite know what to do. And, um, you know, and from that, and some downright abuse too, like, you know, um, my son had to put up with other boys at the club, visit, they were a visiting club, saying, oh, why have you got your mum coaching? Like, girls know nothing about footy. So some really nasty, like, horrible bullying comments. And thank God my son's quite resilient, so he was fine, just brushed it off. But it really, I think that's what inspired me to go, um, you know, we need to get together the women and the men and try to solve this problem together, this lack of women coaches. And when I met Aish, who's um, my partner in the Women's Coaching Association, uh, she's also studying a PhD in um, soccer or your football. <laughs> she calls it football. <laughs> uh, and looking at the similar thing with the barriers and challenges to women um, in coaching over that, in that space, you know, we realised that actually it's pretty similar between our sports and hold on, let's go talk to a whole pile of other people. And then the more and more we talk to people, everyone was saying the same thing. And we're like, we've really got to set something up to support these women. So 
So when we started having a look around, we couldn't really see too much, especially over here in Australia, that, that really reached across all the sports. And we thought that it was really important um, to be able to bring, because I think women, especially here in Australia, and we're such a sporty nation, you know, don't have that support to coach or to get into coaching. And I, and I feel like too, for me, a lot of people didn't even think of it as an issue, you know, and I guess even me as a phys ed teacher, I hadn't really thought that there wasn't any women coaching until I was almost getting abused as one. And I was like, hold on a second, like what's happening with this culture of sport? So yeah, I guess that, that was really it. So our three key aims for WCA are to attract more women to coach sport across all sports, to develop and educate women um, coaches and to sustain the careers of women who coach. Awesome. So have you sort of like got ideas for the future or is it literally a place where is it, is it going to turn into a network group or is it going to, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, like what's your mission with it? Yeah. Have you got any yep. ideas from a project standpoint? Yeah. So, uh, so we're a registered, yeah, we're a registered business and the, uh, the idea behind that without going for like a charity or, you know, not for profit was that we saw some of the, the sports associations over here go under during COVID and we thought it's really important to set this up so that it lasts longevity and it's sustainable. Um, and we really wanted to be able to have control over the, the money that we get in, you know, to be able to really invest that back where it's really going to make the highest impact, which is one of our values is impact. Um, and I think that was that was a real that was really important for us to be able to say we actually want to lead this because I guess um, the unique thing about Aisha and I is that we're both teachers, so we're from a teaching background. Uh, we are both coaches, and we are both studying PhDs. And there's not too many people that have those three things together. So I think that was what we felt like we had a reasonably good understanding of what you know of how we could address this problem. And that we really wanted to use that to target and to have those. So some of the things that will be, some of the projects that we'll be working on are our own podcast. Uh, so we'll be getting a podcast into the women coaches. We've, um, we're networking with the sports to get them hopefully joined up as members. We're running web educational webinars. We hopefully have a conference in the next year. Um, and so the education piece will be a big piece for us. Um, targeted education for women coaches that's um, able to be delivered across all sports. And of course, like you said, the networking, that's really important because myself, I was one of the only women coaching in the club of about 80 men. Um, and it was, it was not that I couldn't gain things from the men because I could, but I think I really wanted the ear of a woman to say, hey, am I imagining this or do you get these type of things happen to you too? So just setting young women up with, you know, really positive and strong experienced mentors that can guide them through some of those challenges in sport. Awesome, awesome. Well, Jules, out of interest, just reflecting now, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey? Yeah, I'm not, give me two seconds because I actually wrote, had a really good uh, answer to this one. Um, so what did I enjoy? Oh, I know what it was. That's right. I said, because I had to think about this because I enjoy it all. It's, it's very hard for me to rate the one I enjoy the most. I love it. I love what I do. Um, you know what it was? It was the people. It was 100% the people and the connections that I make through sport. Um, because, like I said, the jobs I've had in sport, and then I, I play sports. So I currently play as a rules footy, but I've played a variety of sports my whole life. The trips away, you know, like you like you make life 
lifelong, lifelong friends from that. It's not, never about the winning or the competitiveness for me. It's about the connection. Um, and that is the definitely, without a doubt for me, the most, you know, the thing I've jo- enjoyed most about being involved in sport. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview. Where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. And I'm going to go into the teaching route now because I now I've learned more about your career. I think this will benefit the listeners the most. Out of interest, what three tips would you give to a university student who wants to get involved in teaching, particularly in PE, and they want to know that next step of literally just graduated, what's that next step would you give with regards to three tips? Yeah, I actually think it starts before they graduate, though, to be honest, because I think that if you're studying PE teaching, one of the things that I've noticed drop off in our PE teachers who are studying over here is that you should really be building those networks throughout your academic life. And I, I, when I say building networks, I mean go and volunteer. You know, it looks really great on your CV if you've given up your own time to go and volunteer in an organisation or a school. Coaching uh, or teaching swimming or um, anything that's to do with sport and kids is, looks fantastic. And I think not only does it look great, but it also builds that confidence to be a teacher. A lot of teaching is public speaking. Uh, and I remember in my first year, I was very nervous to get up and give the sports report at, uh, every Friday at assembly. Uh, but I was fortunate that I'd done a lot of coaching with kids and, and I had quite a bit of experience. And, you know, and I'd also worked with a lot of parents in community sports. So I think definitely you can't leave it until you graduate. It needs to start way before that. Um, and I really think in final placement over, um, I'm not exactly sure how it works in the UK, but in Australia, we have a final placement. And I always say to my students, that really is like a job interview. So the final time you're out in the school, they know you're close to finishing your course. Schools love graduate teachers. And I joke with the teachers and say, A, it's because you're cheap. You're the cheapest teachers to employ. Uh, But B, they love graduate teachers because you're enthusiastic. We have this saying in Australia called green and keen. So you're super keen. You know, you're really passionate about the job. You've just had the latest pedagogy taught to you. uh, And schools love that because then you can help their staff with that. Yeah, so that's, that's some of the pre-advice. And then post-advice, I'd say um, we're really fortunate here in Australia. We set our, all our graduate teachers up with a mentor. So I would say if your system doesn't set you up with a mentor, go and seek a mentor. You know, it, it, everything in life when we're learning, it really helps to have someone who's been down that track can guide you, can share the lessons with you, give you ideas, talk to you about a difficult day if you've had a, diff, you know, a difficult student and there's been something go on at school. Because all these things that you experience, someone has experienced before you. So, you know, leverage that network. And that's why I say it's important back when you're back in the developing stages as a teacher and, and the studying stage to get a network around you of support. So that when you do come out and teach, you have that network to support you to continue to keep teaching. Otherwise, I think if you, you can get a bit lost and it can feel a little bit lonely and isolating. Um, so definitely get yourself a network. Um, and I think that the, th- the third thing I'd say is enjoy it. Like you've just worked your butt off for the last six years. So, and you're finally getting paid. You've probably done loads of voluntary work, you know, and here you are, you're in your first job enjoy it you're getting paid to do what you you know what you love doing uh take those holidays those school holidays and go traveling somewhere and have some time off uh and probably the final thing i'd say is just never stop learning you know i think once you you stop learning in anything in life you know you, you you become a dinosaur things are changing and evolving so quickly and again i go back to 2020 like who would have thought at the start of 2020 i'd be talking to you over zoom in the uk like 
you know, the, the world is rapidly changing and evolving. So learn to be flexible and adapt and change and, and somehow try to get ahead of that curve if you can, because that makes you highly employable. Jules, out of interest, how can people interact with you on social media? Yeah, so I have a LinkedIn account. So that's Jules Hay. So feel free to um, like me or follow me or send me a private message. Um, I have Twitter and my handle is HeyJules1. Um, and also, of course, we have the Women's Coaching Association and we're on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. So if you just search Women's Coaching Association, you'll be able to find uh, our logo and you can like the pages and keep in contact with uh, Aish and I and our working party who, who help um, to keep WCA going. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my website related to this blog post. Jules, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. No worries. See you later. What a fascinating podcast chat with Jules, but most importantly, why this conversation was important as well. I really admire Jules's attitude, her upbeat personality with regards to one, her passion, with regards to teaching in general, coaching in general. But with regards to today's podcast topic, I hope you've got a better understanding why equality is so important in the sports industry, not just coaching in every aspect of the sports industry with regards to employment on and off the sports field. I feel it's not talked enough about with regards to this point where including you, the listener, should have equal opportunity to any role. But it comes down to your personality, skill sets, knowledge, experience, where gender shouldn't have to be a dimension of not getting that role in the first place. So that is why I really admire what Jules is doing with regards to her PhD, but also Women Coaching Association. If you want more information about that and you want some mentors, or you want some guidance or somebody bounce ideas off, check out that association and it'll be a place in a safe environment where you can get guidance so you can be the coach you want to be and have the support behind you. So on that note, final thing I want to say with regards to Jules, which I've learned the most from her is, and she said this during her time at teaching, that if you want to be a teacher, it's got to be something you really enjoy and being in the right environment. And I think this is the same working at a club as well, not just in a school, but I really enjoyed listening to Jules' experience. Actually, having the right people around you is so important in the line of work you do, even if it's challenging where you can bounce off ideas and get help from other people around you with regards to the challenges you're facing. It's so important. But the other school she was at where it was had all the resources, but there wasn't that support with the other teachers, she ended up leaving and doing something, had a lot more intrinsic motivation. So I think that's my biggest learning lesson is having the right people around you. And this is not just coaching, not just teaching. Whatever you want to do in the sports industry, have the right support system. Because when you do face those challenges or you need some help um, you've got the right people who can point in the right direction really give you that helping hand you need or does the opposite provide some accountability to step up and be the best version of yourself so look I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast and really put Jules's career tips right at the end into action particularly building that network so make it happen today and do it Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Jules said, go and seek out a mentor and learn from their experience. And 
build a network around you to create that support you need with regards to teaching or the career you want to do.